been considering for this past month, we've been asking the question, so how do you know if it's well with your soul? We just sang that song with a lot of gusto. We sang that song like we, like we meant it. It is well with our soul. But how do you know if it is? We've defined the soul as that internal, eternal part of you. We've said the soul is the deepest part of you that really affects all of you. And so far in this message series, we have said that in order for the soul to thrive, the soul needs rest, and the soul needs a sense of responsibility. A soul needs work. And as we read Genesis chapter 2, we see that God shows us how life works best. God shows us there's a certain rhythm to life. Rest and responsibility. A time to work, a time to play. Six days to work, and then a day to take off. A day uh, to, to rest. But if we overemphasize work and de-emphasize rest or recreation, we become workaholics. And our souls are drained. And we lose our sense of joy over the long haul. But on the other hand, if we de-emphasize responsibility and over-emphasize rest, well, that leads to sloth and lack of meaning, and we open ourselves to sin. We become vulnerable to sin. And so God designed our, our lives such that we need rest and we need responsibility. We need that sense of balance. And so today we're going to look at a third element involved in uh, healthy souls, and that is our souls need restraint. Now, this is a very countercultural message, because as wealthy Americans, quite honestly, we don't like to say no to anything. Now, there was a time in our lives early on when we learned to say no with a lot of authority and with a lot of verve. Our parents said to us, eat your peas. And we said, no. Our parents said to us, you look real tired. It's time to go to bed. I'm not tired. No, no, no. Our parents said, come here. And we said, no. But we have grown. And, and now we have the freedom. We like the freedom to say yes to whatever we want, whenever we want. In fact, quite honestly, it's sometimes hard to say no. It's an old illustration, but you can relate to it well. You're on a diet, and you know there's some things you should not eat. There's some things you should say no to, and you have said no to dessert. You've said no to chocolate pie, and so you go out with some friends, and everybody else is ordering chocolate pie, and oh, that chocolate pie looks so good. It's so desirable. And you do not have the ability to say no. But just like healthy bodies need restraint, so healthy souls also need restraint. In fact, one of the ways we can define maturity is self-imposed restraint. But why is restraint so hard and why is it so needed in developing healthy Souls. Well, I think we might find the answer as we once again go back to the garden. As we go back uh, to that passage that Justin read for us just a few moments ago. Right after uh, 
God put humans in the garden and God gives humankind something to do, he says to them in verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now notice in these couple of verses that, that before there's prohibition, there's permission. Adam and Eve can eat from any tree in the garden. Just imagine if you're with Adam and Eve and you're looking around at this garden. Well, I wonder how many trees are in the garden. Are there hundreds of trees? Or maybe there are thousands of trees? And God says, you can eat from any one of them. There's, there's permission. But there's also prohibition. Adam and Eve, there's the one over there that you cannot eat from. And notice, notice also, God is a gracious God. One of the very first things we learn about God is how gracious God is and how also God is incredibly generous. You can eat from any tree. There are, as we said, hundreds, maybe thousands of trees. I've provided all of them from you, for you. You can eat from them. You see, the odds were stacked in their favor. He's setting them up for success. This wasn't difficult. It wasn't hard. God wasn't trying to trick them. God said, eat from any you want. Just not that one. He gave them the world. But He also set some limits. And yet the one tree God said no to is the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. Now we have questions about that tree, don't we? For instance, one question we have is, why did God put this one tree in the garden in the first place? In fact, sometimes we even want to blame God just a little bit for putting that tree there. People reason. We would not be in this predicament in the first place if God, you had not put that one tree in the garden. If you would have just left that tree out, then everything would work well for us. And we wonder, why did God put that tree in the garden? You see, we, without this tree, we would not have an opportunity to express love. Real love always requires a choice. Forced love is no love at all. If there had not been a choice, there would not be an opportunity for us to express love. God loves us. He desires to be in a love relationship with us, yet God will not force us, He will not coerce us, he will not, he will not push us. And by placing that one tree in the garden, it gave us an opportunity to say, God, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose your way and your will. And yet, by giving us choice, we have an opportunity to choose the other way as well. And the other question we have about this tree is why is it called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what does this tree represent anyway now there are all sorts of ideas about what this tree is but here's what I believe I believe eating of this tree enables those who eat it to determine for themselves what is good and what is evil now oftentimes I hear people say this People will use the phrase, this is my truth. How many of you have heard that phrase? This is my truth. 
It's as if they're saying truth is relative and hyper-personal. What is true for me? Well, it may not be true for you. This is my truth. I have the power to determine what is true and what is not. And friends, that thinking is as corrupt as Genesis chapters 2. It's as old as Genesis chapters 2 and 3, and it is corrupt thinking. By eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, Adam and Eve were in essence saying, I have the power, I have the knowledge, I have what it takes to determine for myself what is true. I have the power to determine what is, what is good and what is evil. What is good for me and what is evil for me. Up to this point, Adam and Eve, they've been in close relationship with God they loved God. They knew that God had created them, this all-powerful being. And because God had created us and God had created the world, He knows us better than we know ourselves. And one of the things about God is He knows how things work. He knows how things work for us. But the serpent slithers into the life of Eve and then Adam, and the serpent claims that if they would eat from this tree, it would make God obsolete and after eating this tree Adam and Eve's eyes in a sense are opened and they now believe they can determine what's right for them they don't need a higher power they don't need God Adam and Eve believe we can make our way in in the world by ourselves and so in the words of the noted theologian Dr. Phil how's that working for you How's that working for us? Adam and Eve partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ironically, their eyes are opened and they learn what we know. Not all knowledge is good. Not everything we know by experience is a good thing. There are some things better not to know. There are some things that when we experience them and then come to know them we end up coming to understand as did Adam and Eve that when we do this we get more than we bargained for they begin to experience some things they never experienced before they became vulnerable they begin to experience guilt they came to understand what shame is now, guilt and shame are, are similar ideas, but they're different in this regard. Guilt is when we do something wrong and we know what we did is wrong. What I did is wrong. But shame, on the other hand, is much more personalized. I've heard psychologists talk about how shame is the doorway to addiction. Because shame doesn't just say what I did was wrong. Shame says I am wrong. Shame doesn't just say that was not right. Shame, guilt says uh, that is not right. But shame says I am not right. And when you have this sense down deep in your heart that you're not right, that you're broken, that you're somehow bad, then you feel a deep sense of pain. And what do you do? You need to medicate that pain. You need to find some way to cope, and oftentimes we find that way to cope by, by substances, by something outside of us. And so Adam and Eve begin to experience something they'd never experienced before, 
It's really a pathetic picture when you think about it. They, they begin running and hiding, and people have been running and hiding from God ever since. And they begin to try to clothe themselves. And what do they use to clothe themselves? They use, they use leaves. There they are, alone, afraid, hiding, trying to cover themselves. It's not a very pretty picture. What happens at that moment as Adam and Eve headed east of Eden began moving away from God. They began moving away from the very source of life for the soul. What I'm about ready to say here is pretty important. You see, the essence of temptation is the desire to become like God. To decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. No longer do we allow God to define what is good and what is evil. Now we take matters into our own hands. We begin to make our own decisions. Often we're drawn to this intoxicating potion, this damning potion of we need more knowledge. We're a part of the information age. And on one, in one sense, knowledge is good. But in another sense, as I said, there are some things we don't need to experience. And so we, as Adam and Eve, we take the perspective we can define for ourselves what is good for us or what is evil for us. And the amazing thing, like Adam and Eve, we find ourselves, ironically, not free, but we find ourselves enslaved. But here's the good news today in the message. The good news is what God offers us is true freedom. He offers us something much better. Do you remember the verse we read that Justin read to us and I reread it? It's Genesis 2.16. If you read it carefully and closely, notice it says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but not, not the one. What God is teaching us is that true freedom is freedom within limits. It's freedom within restraints. In order for our souls to really thrive, we need the gracious limitations of God. Why would, why would we choose to live like this? Why would we choose to live within restraints, to live within those godly gracious boundaries? It's because we know God's way is best. It's because we know God knows us, God created us, God loves us. God's way is always right and good and I believe down deep, in the deepest part of our souls, I believe we, we know this. We know we can't live without a sense of restraint. So a couple of years ago when I, I went to Trey's football game, he was playing at Middle Tennessee Christian School in Murfreesboro. And after the game, I was heading back from Murfreesboro to Lebanon on 231. And uh, it was a 30-mile speed zone. It shouldn't be a 30-mile-per-hour speed zone. It should be a 45-mile-per-hour speed zone. It's right outside of town, and it'll catch you quick if you're not careful. Anyway, I, I'm doing 45 in this 30-mile-per-hour speed zone. A police officer pulls me over. You're going to think every sermon illustration I use is about me breaking the law or about me getting caught speeding. I don't speed that much. So I'm doing 45. police officer pulls me over, and about that time, the Friendship Christian bus is blowing by me. And I'm hiding, you know, I'm sitting there trying to not let them see me. And the police officer, he gets out and he walks over to me and he asks the question. He said, sir, is there some reason you felt the need to do 45 in a 30 mile an hour speed zone? 
Now imagine, I didn't say this. Let me just preface this story by this. I did not say what I'm about ready to tell you. But imagine I said this to the police officer. Imagine I said, well, officer, I just don't feel authentic driving 30. When I drive, I like to be guided by, by my inner voice. And my inner voice was saying to me, drive 45, drive 45, it's okay, drive 45. You see, officer, when I'm driving, I've got to be free. What do you think that officer would tell me? The officer would tell me, well, I feel free to write you a $350 check then, sir. But many people live their lives like that. John Ortberg says there are two kinds of freedom. There's freedom from and there's freedom for. Most of our culture, when we think about freedom, we think of freedom from. Freedom from moral restraints. Freedom from people telling me what what to do. When they think of freedom, they think of throwing off any kind of restraint and just living any way they wish. And when we decide to live like that, we're partaking of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We're saying to ourselves, I know what's best for me. I know what's right for me. I know what is good. I know what is evil. Yet instead of freedom from, Ortberg says there's a second kind of freedom, and that is freedom for. The first kind of freedom isn't real freedom. It's self-centeredness. But there's a freedom for. Jesus once said in John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said in verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the true freedom that Jesus offers. This is the place where the soul can thrive. It's the freedom for. This is the freedom for God. This is the freedom to live for Christ. This is the freedom to live by the power of the Spirit. This is the freedom to serve others in Jesus' name. This is the freedom to live the kind of life that I was created to live. Michelangelo, I'm I'm told, once, once said, when I am yours, when I'm yours, God, when I am yours, then at last I'm truly myself. So how do you get this freedom that our soul ultimately craves? Again, quoting John Ortberg, This is the great irony of freedom. To become truly free, you must surrender. We surrender to God. You resist the urge to eat from the tree of the knowledge of evil, good and evil. You resist the urge to say, I know what's best for me. No one else is going to tell me what to do. And you say, I know there is a God and He created me. He knows how I best can thrive and I want to live according to His will and His word. You resist the selfish urge that we all have and you surrender your life to God. So several years ago in the New York Magazine, they wrote this story about these prisoners who were uh, falsely accused and they spent a lot of time in prison. And they they told their stories. And and they told the story of what it was like for them when they finally experienced freedom. Finally got out of jail. It was amazing. As you read these stories, um, none of them experienced a lot of bitterness. But Derek Hamilton was 49 years old. He experienced 21 years 
locked up in prison, and finally he's set free. And here's what he says about his first day of freedom in his own words. The day I walked out, my wife, my nephew, my son was in the car waiting for me. There was a church right around the corner. He goes on. I would always listen to the bells ringing when I was in jail. I didn't even know where the church really was, but I would pray when I heard the bells ring. It was my only opportunity to pray at the same time people on the outside was praying. When I got out, that was one of the first things I wanted to do. Just go around and pray in that church. I went in and thanked God for my release. Going into that church, it was like being born again. Ultimate freedom is found as we surrender our lives to Jesus. And as we do that, our souls really thrive. And so I guess the question I ask you this morning is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you bought into that satanic lie that says, I know what's best for me, I know what is good, and I know what is evil. Nobody has to tell me anything. Or are you ready to surrender to Jesus? And when you're baptized in Jesus' name, every sin's washed away, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you, though you have a new master, you are incredibly free. You'll never experience more freedom than at that moment when you decide, I'm going to live my life like God wants me to live my life. It's then your soul thrives.